Welcome to the family with Ralph W. Basher, MD, Hackmaster. Melissa Kirk. Andy Brand Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. We'll be right back. Tony Saldana, our special guest. The book is called Why Digital Transformations Fail the Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. Tony will join us right after this with the family. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. A justice flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Love this song. Ladies and gentlemen, why digital transformations fail, the surprising disciplines of how to uh, take off and stay ahead. Tony Saldana, how are you doing, Tony? Very good. Thanks for having me on the show, Tom. It's my pleasure. I pronounced your last name properly, Saldana. Saldana, that's right. Who, there's a, a really famous, is there an actor or some name with the last name of Saldana? Or maybe I grew up with a Saldana. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> that could be, although there's Zoe Saldana. She doesn't have an H at the end there. Oh, that's right. It's Zoe Saldana. That's true. But, but I think I grew up with a Saldana family in the neighborhood. Former Procter & Gamble Vice President for IT and Shared Services, Tony Saldana, gives you the keys to a successful digital transformation, a proven five-stage model, and a discipline process for executing it. For people who might not know, what is a digital transformation? Um, I, I, I think uh, you said the operator word, um, people that might not know. Um, so I did a, a survey of about uh, 100 executives, and the answer, well, the 100 answers ranged all the way from, oh, don't worry about it. This is hype. I, I had digital watches in the 1970s all the way through. Oh, it's the AI stuff that's going to basically take all of your jobs. The, the only real possible 
a definition of digital transformation is you run your business or you run your country a certain way today with certain work processes and certain people. You're going to have to basically rewire that to be successful in the fourth industrial revolution. So instead of selling, you know, mom and pop store, sell online. Instead of having normal cars, smart cars. You know, instead of having, you know, paperwork done a certain way, you know, do it 10 times more efficiency. And so it's basically that rewiring of the entire enterprise or public sector organization. That's digital transformation. And what is the upside of that? Um, well, actually, depending on whether you want the glass, the glass uh, half full or half empty, um, the half, half uh, empty version is that uh, if you don't keep up, uh, you basically get um, uh, uh, you know outdated and eventually uh, companies or countries die. But I, I actually focus on the half full side because I think digital transformation is an opportunity of absolutely historic proportions, right? This is the opportunity that's always you know, created David versus Goliath, whether whether, whether David successfully take on much larger businesses or countries take on new business models and they succeed, right? Um, And as we've learned from previous um, uh, industrial revolutions, it's not so much whether you know that your technology that's relevant. So, you know, whether you knew electricity or not, that was not important in the second industrial revolution. But, you know, whether you had an open mindset and whether you were open to change. And that's really all that people need. Um, and I think if you do that, then this is a an incredibly big upside. Now, I do have to ask you, Tony. you mind if I call you Tony? Oh, not at all. Of okay. course, that's my name. Good <laughs> 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 name. Well, that's true. It is your name. That's good. Um, as far as this is concerned, I, I have a question for you. And I'm not, I'm not nailing millennials here or Generation Z. I'm just talking about... Americans in general, uh, you know, because you you talk a bit about uh, a lack of clear goals and a disciplined process for achieving your goals. Do people have that? What I've observed, because I do a morning talk show as well, and then I do this show, um, a lot of times I do some voiceover, and I do notice almost every time I read a script that it there are at least three or four misspelled words or bad grammar or improper English or whatever. Nobody ever checks their work anymore, Tony. What are we going to do about that? Well, <laughs> you know, that, that, that is a fantastic question. Um, Thank that you. is indeed true. Uh, meaning, I, I guess the things that were important to our generation, which I would argue should be important to the next one as well, mm-hmm. right. it's just simply no longer important. Um, but you know that's, that's the nature of things, or at least that's that's the way. I mean, I maybe I'm, I'm, I'm too easy, but you know I think that <laughs> the English language in in the U.S. and in the world evolved from the old British English, right? Um, and by the way, I was educated in the old British English, and now I look at some of the stuff I used to spell and write and say, oh come on, you know. Um, I think it's just a reflection of you know where. What people think is important, and, and you're absolutely right, the new generation really doesn't care about how you spell or, you know, the quality of the handwriting, and it drives me absolutely nuts. But I guess, you know, that is the nature of things. It's, it. it's interesting that the, the, uh, the young genera- or the current generations who are using cell phones also accept a lesser quality cell phone or phone connection. 
because when we we use landlines exclusively, if there was any noise on your line at all, you would immediately call the company and say, there's something wrong with my telephone. There's something wrong with this Mm -hmm. line. Yet now you can drop calls. It can be a distant kind of voice. It can be a thousand things that are uh, not perfect, and you tolerate it uh, completely. So it's interesting. There's more of a tolerance for uh, less than perfect communication. Yeah, you know, that, uh, that that is a really, really good point because um, I've noticed, especially in the workforce, by the way, right, um, the things that people really don't care about any longer. So, for example, um, you know, the, the, the overall trappings of power <laughs> when I was growing up in a career, you know, the corner office, you know, the coffee, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, obviously the next generation couldn't care less, right? Um, and then also... Uh, quality accepted in terms of, you know, maybe the one-page memo or stuff like that is less important. On the other hand, there's an entirely new set of things that's absolutely critical. Um, Quality, you know, don't really care of cell phones. But, you know, take away my cell phone for half an hour and you get a riot on your hands. So um, it it, it is interesting to see how this, this, um, uh, you know, uh, the the change of what's important uh, continues on. You know, it's, you know, having brought that up, in uh, in the state of Kashmir, where uh, India has sort of changed some of the rules there, they have shut down that, and there's a there's a discussion whether or not a cell phone is uh, removing someone's cell phone access is a human rights violation yeah, in the UN. Absolutely. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, my, my uh, two uh, daughters, so 25 and 26, um, would completely agree that this is a human rights violation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice there. Tony, um, there, there's a quote from your descriptor here. You want to disrupt before you are disrupted. Be the next Netflix, not the next blockbuster. That's a, to me, that would be a terrifying thing. Not, not, we started this podcast, and I own the podcast, and it's wonderful, and it's gone very, very well working with good people, the whole deal. But it's got to be terrifying now for a lot of businesses. I, I noticed Forever 21 is losing $10 yeah. million dollars a month. Blockbuster yeah. at one time was the greatest thing that ever happened to America. And within about 10 years, it was nothing. Boy, that's terrifying. Yeah. It's a lot of money to be lost there. It, it, it is. And, and you're absolutely right. It is terrifying. Um, uh, I, I just saw on TV, I, actually I'm in Toronto here, Okay. On the screen a few minutes ago, that Forever Twenty One has has filed for bankruptcy. I didn't know whether it was Canada or or, or broader, but yes, yeah, it is terrifying. Um, um, so uh, the uh, the um, uh, it, 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 that's absolutely true. Um, but you know, this is what I try and put into context in the book that you know this is what happens during industrial revolutions, right? Uh, there are exponential winners and there are unfortunately exponential losers, right? Um, and, you know, just like with the first industrial revolution, you know, with the, the, the textile mills and the workers who did everything that was asked of them, suddenly for no fault of theirs, they find out that there is new machinery that makes them completely obsolete, right? Um, and so um, uh, it is absolutely terrifying. It is absolutely for no fault of people. Uh, but it is also absolutely that, you know, stuff that just happens with every industrial revolution. So what I try and do, and this may, maybe this is my, my, my more positive nature coming out, 
is I spent my time at Procter & Gamble and now the work that I do after helping companies, individuals, and organizations see that it does not take too much effort to start to prepare for this, right? Even if you're a normal individual doing a, you know, uh, pa- shuffle paper in, shuffle paper out kind of stuff, the ability to spend 10 minutes online, you know, picking up on stuff on how technology is going to disrupt the way you do that shuffling of paper can make a huge difference, right? It is really that openness to change that makes all of the difference in an industrial revolution. That is the whole deal. And are people, are Americans, are Canadians open to change? Um, I, I, I would say that um, uh, change is always hard, and, and, and I'm going to make a, a very, very broad brush uh, stroke <laughs> okay. uh, remark here that you know people that are higher up Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, you know find it a little more difficult to to change than people that are lower down. So um, so um, by that particular benchmark, I think unless there is recognition that all of the stuff that you're seeing around you is part of a trend. The Forever 21, the mom and pops shops going, you know, the entire industry, you know, the, the way we generate uh, uh, energy is changing. Unless people connect the dots and make it clear that in this industrial revolution, there are a few things that we are going to have to do differently. Um, you know, my, my fear is that the pain of ignoring that is, is, is going to be terrible. Yeah, I think that is pretty amazing. The Do you think, I mean, obviously, if you, if you look back, uh, you know, the telephone's not been around that long. Television certainly has not been. Radio's been around for about 100 years, something like that. But those time frames went from 50 years, 100 years, down to about 5 to 10 years that businesses come, they get hot, they go, and we move on. Do you think that time frame will get even shorter as time goes goes on, as things go forward? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. For, certainly for, for technology-driven stuff. Right. Um, I mean, you know, you're, you're familiar with Moore's Law and the doubling of price performance mm-hmm. of computers every 18 months. Now... What's interesting, the reason why you have all this digital disruption is that we're getting to that part of Moore's Law curve where in about five years you could go out and for $1,000 buy the computing capacity of a human brain, right? That's pretty scary. Um, (laughs) Now, unfortunately, it does not stop there because 20 years from that time, for that same $1,000, you're going to be able to buy the, the computing capacity of all the humans on Earth, right? Oh. Um, so, so that's the nature of exponential technologies, as they call them, meaning these technologies that just grow exponentially, not linearly. Um, and, and what that means, for example, is that, you know, the, num- the amount of data that the world generates um, actually dramatically goes up. Um, so, for example, 90% of all the data in the world today is basically two years or less old, right? Mm-hmm. Which basically means that, um, you know, as, as that volume of information goes up and as the ability of computers to process that goes up, um, then, you know, that's what drives the, 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 the ability for robots and other 
things to do more and more of the work that humans do. Now, I know that sounds really scary, mm-hmm. but again, this is why I love history, because you always put this in the context of, you know, this is the same issue we had when we went from, you know, uh, uh, humans working textile mills to the machines doing that, because mankind always finds the next set of value add using those new technologies as tools, right? Um, and I think that's, that's the way forward. I think you're probably right about that. I, I um, well, I mean, I shouldn't say you're probably right about it. You are right about that. <laughs> Leaving the word probably out. Uh, I, I, I find the whole thing to be so amazing. The fact that we we count on digital, we we absolutely count on digital for everything these days. Um, and I wonder in the long run if if human emotion will. I don't think it has a huge role right now, maybe. Do you think it still does, that human emotion still has a, a big role in what we do? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's good. a really good question, Tom, because I, I think, uh, and actually I see this in, in um, engineering and technology fields, right? You know, when I went to school a, a good 35 years ago, I mean, you know, you, you basically try to put your left brain at work, you know, the, the math, right. the computing, right. all that kind of stuff. Yep. And that's what made me successful. But in the last few years of my career, what I found was that that was actually insufficient. It was my ability to completely rethink stuff using technology that was important. So I'll give you an example, a very corporate example, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I'm I'm sure every company has this thing. You know, you have the feared and hated expense report when you do a travel, right? So you go on a trip, you know, you have to come back to the expense report. Now, there are companies, including Google and others, that, you know, um, you, the expense report does not exist. Because think about it. You go on a trip. You spend money. You're probably using your corporate card. That card has enough data on what you're doing. You could actually make all of this computer stuff do some good for you as a person by actually generating the expense report. So your employees are not forced to do that, you know, mundane task, right? Mm -hmm. And that exists. But that's an example where I think, you know, um, uh, 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 technology can can bring in some relief as well. Yeah, that is a wonderful thing. I do. It's funny. The whole time you were talking about that, I thought of a job I had in a different business back in the nineteen late nineteen seventies and early nineteen eighties where I was called into the uh, home office in Los Angeles to talk to them about my expense account. And I said, what is the problem? They said, you're not spending enough money. I said, what? (laughs) They said, you're not spending enough money. I said, well, I don't really need to because I've known the people that I do business with my whole life. They said, that's not what it's about. You're making the rest of us look bad. Spend more money. (laughs) It's a true story, Tony. Oh, my God. What's wrong with you, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) I know what's wrong with me. Exactly. Tony, if you don't mind in the future, I'd love to talk to you about this again and have you on more often to talk about it. But I also, if you don't mind, uh, I'll lift your voice off of this this interview. So every day when I say something, I will hear Tony Saldana say, well, that's a very good point, Tom. (laughs) 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 So that's, we're going to use it, Tony. We're going to use it. Go for it. Yeah, it's a Go wonderful, it. wonderful interview. I learned a lot today, Tony. Thank you for your time, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Absolutely. Really Why digital transformations fail, the surprising disciplines of how to take off and stay ahead. Tony Saldana, S-A-L-D-A-N-H-A. We'll be back with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? 
At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Who's driving the Mercedes convertible in this song? I know. You know, Richard, Richard Gere, baby. My mom had a massive crush on him. Well, a lot of women did, I think. So she didn't make me watch American Gigolo when I was a kid. And, and the gerbil story is a, is a urban legend. Yes. It's not true. He didn't stick a gerbil up his butt? He, no, he was, not, he was not into the anoxic seizure of the gerbil. I have a question for you But he you did stand that. there in the full money. Just <laughs> he did. Schwanz hanging out the whole deal. For, mm. How do you get a gerbil up your butt? I can't even get toilet paper in there. What's the deal? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the particulars of that. I, of that. Know. I don't know the particulars. I know, and I don't. I hate the fact that I do know how they do ah, you it. You do? Yeah. Oh, God bless them. You want to do it? But, that's not. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying. I don't know how the hell you even do well, it? Well, come on. No, no. I, there's a certain group. There's a certain uh, preference group that choose that. Yet. Those same people are animal rights people. So I, it's it's a pretty brutal well, thing to do to an animal. I, I know. Think. Why would, I would you? Think so. uh, I mean, I know how they do it, but it's like, who thought of that? That's, do that's they grease the them up pretty good? No, they just they use uh, the hamster parts for their cage, like their little habit trail tubes. Yeah. They force that up there first? Uh, yeah. Did that hurt? <laughs> uh, apparently not. Oh, God, I think <laughs> it hurt like mad. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that there's... That there's there's a there's a, there's a thing there's a technique in medicine called bougie, and what that is is that if you have a stricture someplace or something a scar particularly the esophagus you can pass these lar- these uh, stretching mechanisms that get larger yeah. stre- stretching instruments get larger and larger as you pass through oh, yeah. so it stretches things and gently sort of stretches the scar tissue or tears the scar tissue. 
I've put forth to you that there are a certain group of people who have done <laughs> that, done that you. already <laughs> with, large, with with sort of items. For, so there's a, there's a certain uh, uh, an acceptance or relaxation of that area, which allows the insertion of this gerbil running around kind of thing. Which, like I said, I'm not criticizing. We're not criticizing anybody. So you do whatever you want. I don't care. I just don't understand how you get that done. Yeah, but that's well, that's, that's all I'm saying. You know, and it's. Uh, and certainly it's pleasurable for the people. God knows it is, because that's God why that, that's, Good for that you. They, they've done that. And, you know, it's just... it's just. Well, you met Dr. Paul. Yeah. You know Bear. Yeah. He's got, like, fingers like Coke bottles, for Christ's sake. Because <laughs> every time I go into the exam, it's like, yak. Like, Jesus. He's got <laughs> the biggest fingers of any living human. Yeah, you never want to go to a doctor who cracks his knuckles. <sighs> no. For that sort of thing. <laughs> no, for that kind of thing, you don't. Or maybe you do. I, I see, those are those are those are questions that I, I never I will try to breach. But, yeah, you're right. People could have whatever enjoyment they like as long as they're not hurt, as long as people aren't yeah, getting hurt. Right. I don't see an issue with it at all. Truly, just there was yourself out. There was a story today about a guy, I can't remember where he was from, it doesn't matter where he was from. I think it was from India, actually, come to think of it. And a guy looked out in his barn at night on the farm, and there's a guy having sex with one of his cows. This is a true story, it just came out today. And he went down there and said, what the hell are you doing? He goes, blah, 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 and it's this, you know, my wife has reincarnated as a cow. This is my wife, she's reincarnated as a cow. I'm not making this up, this is a true story. So the guy said, get the hell off my land. What are you doing? And what did the news media do? They took the side of the guy banging the cow saying, oh, the man, the American just didn't understand the culture. Oh, my God. You're trespassing on my property, banging my cow, and I'm the bad guy. Well, if she's your wife, you want to buy her back? Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> you know, cough up. Let's go. Get some do-re-mi cooking. I don't know. I... I when are we going to ever get over this color thing? People are so just obsessed with skin color now. It is unbelievable. You cannot make up for slavery. I know that's what you're trying to do. It's never going to happen. You cannot make up for that well, well, horror. So stop trying. So why are we trying to make up? We, granted, we, you know, people have an argument to uh, make up for slavery. Yeah. But why is there no argument for making up uh, for genocide? Of the indigenous people who lived here before well, Whitey got here. There you got. The, there you go. I mean, who who was who? You know, are, is one more deserving than the other, or are they both just as deserving? Why is there no discussion of that? I mean, well, yeah, I. I it, it's interesting because I, you know, I, you know, my my son-in-law is one quarter Yurok, uh, Yurok tribe. He would, <laughs> and he's as white, pale as the driven snow. I mean, they, they, I don't know, whatever. The skin color that was with that tribe is gone in him. But they, but they used to they used to uh, pay seventy five cents for a Yurok tribe member's head. Seventy five cents. Seventy five cents. You, oh, you, you're now this, right you know, this there, was certainly baby. certainly in the nineteenth century. Seventy five cents for it. those those atrocities. You know, are just not uh, discussed, and those right. are just as bad, and in some ways, in a genocide way, worse than you know, how the slaves were treated. Yeah, I, it, it it just it just it I is. Understand I mean, what yeah, yeah, the slaves are treated terribly bad, but man, uh, the the genocide of the Native Americans—it's a bad thing. So, 
did they they want to kill them because they thought they'd be attacked by the oh, tribe? Well, it, it, was, it was during the gold rush, and you, know, you don't want these people around. They're oh, you know, so claiming it's money. part of the land. Well, well, of course, there's money funds in the money. And slavery is all about money too. Well, who's all about money too? Who would right. want to pay people to work when you go get these people for free? Well, not yep. for free, but there were those fees. But geez, far cheaper to do this. It's all about money. It's a money, money, it, money grab. It just is, isn't it? How about the Harvard guy, the big shot that Harvard referring to donors as freed slaves to Harvard? That was a good idea, wasn't it? Why would you make a statement like that? Explain that to me. Harvard. So, so anybody who donated was a freed slave? Well, that's what he was basically. Here, I'll, I'll read a little. Lawrence Bacow is the guy's name. The president of Harvard has apologized. This is a president of Harvard, for God's sake, has apologized for appearing to liken university donors to freed slaves. Lawrence Bacow on Tuesday told hundreds of alumni and fundraising staff members that donors now can give to any Harvard college and will no longer be owned by the one they attended. His explanation evoked the 13th Amendment, which freed enslaved people. You're comparing slavery to giving money willy-nilly. Is that what you got? What an idiot. But you know what? He's the head of Harvard. He's the president of Harvard. So no harm will come to him, I guarantee it. No way. God bless the people that graduate from Harvard. But (sighs) I've I've seen a lot of that are not the brightest bulbs on the tree. Oh, the dumbest boss I ever had had a master's degree from Harvard. This guy was a moron. I mean, it's just that the the insensitivity of saying something like that, they're no longer owned. Yeah. Why don't we not use the word slave or slavery at all anymore? Why don't you just avoid that unless you're talking about one very specific thing? Or owning an individual. Yeah, or owning an individual. It's another good take. I don't know. People people have – the things that I see now that they're – now we got Gavin Newsom. He's passing a law in California that college football players need to be paid and they can do endorsements now, which is going to destroy college football. Are we trying to destroy the American culture? Yeah. Oh, and, and, and the fact is, is that the, the, doing that is accepting the fact that this is a brutal, destructive sport on these young men's right. brains and right. eventually going to be young women's brains. Yes. Because women are going to want to play this game, and if they can perform, they're going to be playing it, and they're going to be brutalized as well. They I mean, are, yep. And no, and, and no one wants to say we're still, we're still, we still have the uh, was it Pop Warner football uh, yeah, in California. Yeah. We still have the Pee Wee football. Now, really, yeah. so we want five year olds playing football, probably not, and having chronic brain injury. That is, this, you know, with you know, it just makes sense. And we're strapping our kids in the car car seats. They have to be in the car seat. Oh, but, but no, you, you go out there and you can hit, bang up your head as much as you want in that football field because so we can watch and laugh. Yeah. Nope. Well, I tell you honestly, being around you know the weight room and all that stuff my whole life, I used to run into professional boxers all the time. Oh. And you would run into guys 30, 32 years old, had no idea where the hell they were. They had no clue. I mean, they would just kind of wander around. Oh, then they're brother or their sister or somebody go okay bill come on it's time to go home okay all right oh god it was just sad yeah with a box that's why i stopped watching i used to watch boxing with my father eating ice cream and it was a rich beautiful memory you know with your dad and i had i had to stop watching boxing when i learned about that that's the whole idea of the boxer's brain and this chronic uh, injury that they receive when they when they fight 
you know, I just had, I said, I can't watch this anymore. It just, it just is not right. Howard Cosell, remember that? He said, I'm not doing boxing anymore. I'm not going to do play-by-play for boxing anymore. I can't watch this anymore. And I wonder if he would have said the same thing about professional football today. Probably true. Probably true, but the last thing you got to say was, look at that little monkey run, which was not a good idea, Howard. I know you didn't. <laughs> I, he didn't mean a damn thing by that, but he was roasted. I know he shouldn't have said it, but that's he wasn't even thinking about that at the time. Oh, doing live, you know, and that's the whole thing about doing when you're doing live uh, presentations or live discussions. Right, right. I mean, you are obliged to be entertaining. You're obliged to be able to fill the time, no dead air, and that is a huge intellectual effort. Yeah, it is. I mean, Tom, you've done it, and you know that you know you do it for three, four hours, five hours a day. You're a little bit worn out at the end of that time because it is a huge effort to do that. Well, Huge yeah, effort. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just talking about this uh, with, with William Humphreys last week, that if you do that for four or five hours, you will start sweating like mad because it is really hard physical labor. Yep. And people don't realize that it, there's a very physical element to that whole thing. Because yeah. the reason it came up is he hugged me goodbye last week, and I had been talking for four and a half hours to different people about different things. He hugs me and goes, why are you all sweaty? Now I got your DNA all over me. <laughs> like, Gee, thanks, William. I feel much better about myself. Yeah, I think, so, so, so maybe that's the new social uh, responsibility we have. Please keep your DNA to yourself. Yeah, keep There's your just, DNA just to that yourself, to you. will you? Just do me a favor. Uh, can you believe another guy fell into the uh, old faithful thermal pool? No. Well, yes, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, yes, no. <laughs> Wait, idiots. Oh, it just, that's... The, how many fences and signs are... You know, I've never been to Old Faithful. I've never been there, so I don't know. Oh, about. yeah, there, you, you, there's bleachers you can sit on, and but there's signs and everything, and it's hot. I mean, that water is hot, and the ground is hot around yeah, it. Yeah, it is, right. But somebody shoved his face in it. Yeah, shoved his face in it. I did see that, yeah. A Yellowstone National Park visitor has been hospitalized with severe burns and could face charges after falling into a thermal pool at Old Faithful. A park official said on Monday, uh, Cade Edmund Symers, 48, told Rangers he was walking near the famous geyser late Sunday night without a flashlight when he tripped into a hot spring. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. Why would you walk in the middle of the night? First of all, how do you get to the geyser in the middle of the night? Isn't it blocked off? Well, I, that, I guess not. I, I guess, guess you can, or, or you can walk over barriers. None of those barriers. They're, they're not. They're not like they're putting, uh, you know, uh, eight foot chain link fence with uh, concertina wire around the top. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what they have to do because these people are idiots. I mean, I, yeah, they that's are. That's just uh, the, the water. And the thing about the water, boiling water has this huge thermal capacity, and you are burnt bad. Fast. It's not like yeah, getting yeah. a flame burn where you know it, you know you might get a you might hurt you a little bit. No, this is like something that's a, it just sucks. The, it just adds sucks the coolness or adds the heat to your skin yeah. really fast, and you're it, it cooks you. I could see that. By Ugh. the way, man, Ugh. Rangers later found Simers who admitted to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> they found his sh- a shoe, his hat, and a beer can. <laughs> drinking again. <laughs> I'm having a few. <laughs> Uh, they also found footprints going to and from the scene and blood on a nearby boardwalk. Simers, who is a U.S. citizen, had been uh, living in India, was taken by ambulance to West Yellowstone and airlifted to a burn center in Idaho Falls. He is still in critical condition. Oh, yeah. Oh. I don't want to be falling into a, uh, into a geyser pool. 
a thermal pool, I should Therm- say. And they, they warn you. All the, all the signs say, oh, hey, by the way, the temperature of this water is 200 degrees. It is, you know, it's really hot. Don't touch this. Don't get anywhere near. Yeah, but boiling's 212, so it can't <laughs> be that hot. Man, well, you can imagine when you, you turn your shower on and it's, it's like 100 degrees. Oh, it's yeah. hot. It is hot. It no, stings you're right. you. Yeah, you're you know, right. Two, 200 degrees, man, it stings <laughs> you and burns you, cooks you right up. 200 degrees would be a bit too much. <laughs> I'm found, here to tell you. And they found blood. That means his skin was coming off. Yep, it was. Peeling off. Ugh. All right, I won't read the story because all the people in here will start tearing up. But you read the story about the little puppy that protected his, his the kids and his family from a snake, and the snake killed the puppy. Oh. But the kids got away. Did you see it? No. Oh, poor little puppy. What's his name? Pit bulls are the most loyal dog I know of, says grieving owner. Pitbull puppy dies protecting kids. This this dog is cute as hell too. I'll tell you that. Look at that face. Oh, it's like a pit. It's a pitbull, right? It is a pitbull, but that's an awfully cute pitbull. Yeah, it's got a looking dog. He's got that kind of caramel brown with the caramel does, colored yeah. eyes. Yeah, and that vicious look on. Well, I'm sorry. That viciously <laughs> horrible look. Uh, O'Reilly Richardson, ten. O'Reilly Richardson. What are you named after? An auto parts store. <laughs> I mean, isn't O'Reilly an auto parts store? Yeah. yeah, it is. You know, I was talking to my son, Napa. <laughs> uh, O'Reilly, O'Reilly Richardson's 10 was playing on his uh, in his Florida backyard on September 23rd when his family's nine-month-old pit bull puppy, Zeus, jumped toward him and started attacking something on the ground. Then his brother, Orion, O'Reilly and Orion. Okay, get off the planet. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, then his brother Orion 11 entered the yard. Zeus laid down on the thing he was attacking, which O'Reilly originally thought was a rope. But then he noticed uh, the puppy's eyes bugged out as the snake bit and killed him. It was a venomous coral snake. Whoa. Woo, that's a very poisonous snake yeah, right there. Bad actor, I'll tell you. Poor little Zeus is dead. Trying to save the kids. You know what he should have done? He should have said, your names are O'Reilly and Orion. I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth saving somebody named after an auto parts store <laughs> or a movie theater for that matter. Yeah. We'll be back. Special guest up next with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more. And please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's Tom telling you that you can lose an average of 26.2 pounds on the 40-day weight loss program powered by Nutramost. I lost 92.5 pounds in less than five months. Thanks to the Sheehy Brothers and the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost. And I encourage you to let them help you lose weight as they teach you how to stay healthy and keep that weight off. Take it from me. Having a coach keeps you accountable and it makes achieving your goals so much easier. Let the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost help you. Schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, August 19th at Jake's in Plymouth. Call now, 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Study data comes from client-submitted data to a third party for tracking of daily weight loss and progress through the new to most weight loss programs. See website for full disclaimer details. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Is Vince ready to go? Yes. Vince Wilburn Jr. Vince, ready. Vince, how are you, Vince? How you doing? The marvelously well. Why do you get to be related to the cool and I don't? <laughs> well, we're related. <laughs> <laughs> we're related. Good, so you and I are related. Too. Uh, good. Miles Davis was my uncle too. I like how we're talking. Now we're talking. The documentary, there you go. the documentary on the life of the jazz legend, garnered much critical praise following its world premiere at Sundance in January 2019, and will be broadcast on PBS in 2020 following its theatrical run. Miles Davis's nephew, Vince Wilburn Jr. He is a musician who toured with Miles and many other artists, and he also oversees the Miles Davis Estate and or Peabody and Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Stanley Nelson. Uh, I tell you, this is unbelievable, Vince. It's so great to talk to you. As a little boy, I, I saw Miles Davis, and I thought, that's how you're cool. It's not running your mouth. It's not acting like a tough guy. To show how cool you are, you got to be Miles Davis, don't you think, Vince? I mean, he was like, he's the only man I know who changed clothes six times a day. So how cool is that? <laughs> I mean, you would look up and he, he would actually have on another outfit. He said, I'm just rehearsing my clothes. I'm rehearsing my clothes. So, <laughs> rehearsing. So, you know, that, that's the ultimate cool, you know. I think so, it is. Uh, I mean, he would even paint. You know, he painted and he did sketches and he would paint and like... Um, all these designer clothes, you know. I, one time I saw him in overalls, denim overalls. What? But he was the ultimate of cool. He was the ultimate of cool. And even as a little boy, I knew that just watching him because he was so reserved. And not in a, like a, like a stuck-up kind of way. It was just like, hey, you know, I'm fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. I always liked that about him. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very, very cool. His, 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 my grandfather was a dentist, you know who drove a Jaguar when, when, when African-Americans couldn't drink out of a water fountain, you know, so, you know, I mean, he is my, and he had a, a farm, you know, 300 acres of, of uh, raised cattle and hogs. So, you know, Uncle Miles came from, from um, a very affluent background. And how did, how was that achieved? I mean, just, was it hard work? How did this come about? Because you're One thing I, Vince, that I, that I get bothered by because, uh, you know, I, I was born in 1951. I really don't like the way people these days like to compare life now with what life was like back then because it's not even close. Uh, I also don't like the fact that people somehow think they can, by judging other people or, or shifting blame onto, onto one certain group of people, that they're ever going to make up for the horrors of, of slavery and then treating people like dirt right up through the late 60s, I mean, that I can remember, and some people still to this day. I really wish people would stop, stop thinking they can make up for that because they can never make up for what happened. Uh, no well, question. You know, funny you say that. He never forgave. The, the, you know, he always brought up the cops that, that had, he had the altercation in front of uh, the club in Birdland in front of him right. in, in the 50s. So that never, he never, he always brought that up, you know, from time to time. And, you know, those those are emotional scars that never leave you. you know? Right. But, no. you know, dealing with all of that, he still came out and it was always about the music and, and that that outweighed the, the racism, the bigotry that, that, that you know, that, that came up during his career. 
Yeah. I mean, he talked about it, but it, it was more about the music and, and moving the music ahead. But, you know, there were times he would bring it up. Yeah, I just I just really wish people who were, you know, weren't even around back then would stop making judgments on, well, that happened then, and now today's is just as bad. No, it's not just as bad. Those people were tortured. Hey, hey that's a whole that's a whole other topic, huh? Yeah, it is. Okay, we'll get off it, Vincent. No, you're absolutely right. But I know it just I love right. the fact that you brought up, you know, that that his father drove a Jaguar, he owned a farm, he owned all these different things. This is a man who obviously had to work his butt off, right? Yeah, but you know, he didn't want to, he didn't, when he, my mom received his diploma, he left and, 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 and wrote the, you know, went to New York from East St. Louis the next day after he graduated. My mom accepted his diploma, I think. My mom told me that. But his goal was to go to Juilliard on a scholarship. And then when he arrived in Juilliard, he, he you know, he wanted to seek out Charlie Parker. Oh, yeah. Bird. So the rest yep. was history, you know. God, that is a wonderful story. I should mention, by the way, but yeah. did, now, did you grow up in East St. Louis? I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, in Chicago. Oh, okay. Chicago. All right. Yeah, down yeah. the block yeah. a little bit. Not that far, actually, but... Oh, yeah. One of my 300 miles from St. Louis. Yes, yeah, sir. One of my favorite things about when I was working at Capitol Records back in the late 70s and early 80s, and I would call on WESL in East St. Louis... And That's I will. Right. I will. Oh, so you Capitol Records, Larkin Arnold. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know these people. Yeah, Ray Tisdale. Oh yeah, God. Honestly, I know the old school guys. You know the, the, the OGs. I call them. <laughs> you and me We're both, drives, Vince. <laughs> you and me both, Vince. That's terrific. Did you have yeah. you have you ever been in the Capitol Records building in that in the recording oh, studio? Of course, I did a mastering session for oh, um, man. the rubber band session. That's out now on Rhino. That's not a, that's not a plug. That. <laughs> that's a new Miles okay. Davis record out on Rhino that we remastered it at Capitol. And I have great Al Schmidt, all the guys are there, engineers. I'm yeah. recorded there. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Vince, I tell you, you walk into that studio and you see, you know, obviously it comes to mind Frank Sinatra recorded there and all yeah. those people. Yeah, Uncle Miles listened to Frank Sinatra for phrasing. A lot uh, of people didn't know that. Oh, that King Cole, you know. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Vince, because. Frank Sinatra, I believe, is the one who invented that breathing style where he would actually breathe in the middle of sentences, not at the end of them. And his mm-hmm, phrasing was mm-hmm. immaculate because of it. Yeah, yeah. God, great musician. Yes. A lot of people, he's a great musician. He was indeed. This is very exciting talking to you about this because this is, I mean, th- this yeah, changed. We can talk for- yeah, you and I could talk forever about this. Stuff. We can have that Ken Burns segment. <laughs> That's right. We'll get Ken Burns on. We'll do a 12 part series for PBS. Right. We'll call it Vince and Tom Talk Music. It'll be fantastic. It'll be wonderful. Right. Let's do it. But, you know, Vince, I was very lucky to, be, to have gotten that job. I was 25 years old when I got the job, and I got to be around all these people that you were talking about. Uh, and, and, you know, working. Oh, one thing I should mention about WESL over there, the, the program director at the time, he used to say, hey, Tommy. Uh, when you come down here, I'll just meet you over in St. Louis. I'll meet you over at Tony's. And I said, okay, but I can just come over. He goes, no, 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 that's, that's not necessary. After a few months, I realized he didn't want me coming over there because he thought it was too dangerous for a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> we were just in St. Louis, and we were talking about Jim Gates and all those guys yeah. back in the day. Yep. And, you know, um, it's amazing. I spent a lot of time in St. Louis and East St. Louis. We, we still have the childhood home. In East St. Louis, oh, you 17th do. in Kansas. We were just there, and then they gave the key to the city to Stanley, the director. So. 
God, that is wonderful. Yeah. Vince, do people know yeah. you talk about Chicago, you talk about St. Louis, that entire, you know, middle America, the great music that came out of middle America. Do, do people know all that? I think they do. I think, you know, because Uncle Mouse are the greatest bass players from the Midwest. I mean, you have Detroit, you know, mm-hmm. you have yeah. Motown, you have Chicago with Chess Records. And you have St. Louis and the Mississippi, then New Orleans. You know, it's it's, it's, it's um, melting pot. Then Minnesota with Minneapolis with Prince. Prince did okay. Yeah, Prince definitely did okay. Ohio with the Ohio <clears throat> players and mm-hmm. you know all that. You know. So, hey, I'm, I'm a, I go all the way back to Stax Volt, man. That's a long time ago now. Man, I go back and I used to go in the basement of Pete Cozy and fill up church and talk and listen to them talk about chess records. And Maurice White played drums on Fontella Bass. Oh, God. He went on to start Earth, Wind, and Fire. He played on Rescue Me. A lot of people don't know that. I will tell you what, you know, man. You're Fon- a historian. You know, I, just, I, I used to just bug people and listen to conversations, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When, they, when Maurice said he was going to start this group called Earth, Wind, and Fire, they thought he was crazy. Oh, God, what a group. Uh, I, right. I, I will tell you, Fontella Bass could sing just a little bit. Oh, yeah. St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah. a great singer. Dave Sanborn, St. Louis. Yeah. Know? God, what a great conversation. Yeah. Michael McDonald, St. Louis. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, so Vince, uh, Miles Davis' nephew, Vince Wilburn, we're talking to here. He's a musician who toured with Miles, many other artists, also overseas. Miles Davis' estate, as we talked about. Uh, yeah, I, I just. Do you do you look back and go? I'm Vince Wilburn Jr. I'm one of the luckiest people on earth to have grown up in the you know in the shadow of all these things, and made something of myself doing it. That's that's got to be very satisfying, isn't it? It's satisfying. It's a blessing, and, yeah. and I never take it for granted. You know, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to think of things Uncle Mal shared. He's been gone since September 28, 1991, and I think of things, really? I reflect on things that he told me. You know. And I'm like, whoa, wow. It's like an epiphany. <laughs> like, oh, shit. He did say that, you but, know. Yeah, but what's great about so. events is you have this great appreciation for it. Some people would just accept it and go, oh, well, they, that's just how it is. But you actually appreciate it, which is, you know, it shows, I don't know if it's like, you know, a family trait to be grateful, but it really worked for you. Yeah, well, my parents raised me well. Yep. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, that's exactly what I'm, I'm talking about. what you have. It, and, and it sounds to me, it sounds as if you haven't peaked yet. You're still striving. You're still trying to no, learn. I'm still learning. And was still Miles learning. Davis still that way, too? Release. Was Miles still that recording. way? I have a studio in my home, still recording. You know, yeah. I, it's a passion. Yeah. Was Miles that way, trying to learn, trying to reach, trying to uh, mature all his life? He never rested. Never rested on his. I mean, you talk about a man who had homes in New York, homes in, in Malibu. Ferraris, you know, he was well off, but it was always about the music that, that drove him, and that's what I, 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 I you know, respect and, I, and I, I picked up on. You know, I don't have Ferraris and homes in LA and New York, but I'm okay. You know, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, you and everybody, uh, you and me both, we don't have those, but we're okay. It, 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 it's working out just fine. Yeah, I mean that's and that's how you should look at life. Is it? Uh, and and you are, yeah. by the way, one hundred percent correct. Your parents raised you properly, and I really wish we'd get a focus back on that in America too today. Uh, some better parents. Well, we come back and talk anytime. You need to come back you and know? talk to me. Because all the a lot time. of my musicians' friends, they didn't have the parents I had. My dad used to drive me to the gig, where I set my drums up and then, and break my drums down and drive me home because I was always played with musicians older than me. You know. So a lot of kids didn't have that, that, that support, you 
So I got to ask you, you worked with Don Cheadle, right? Yes. How was that? He What a talent that guy is. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, we were receiving the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Award in 2006 at the Waldorf Astoria. So backstage, the press said, who do you see playing your uncle in a movie if there was ever to be a movie? I said, Don Cheadle, right away. Yeah. And so it went across the wire. So by the time we flew from New York to L.A., Don's people and our people were talking. I said, Don, I'm sorry I put you in a spot like that. But he said, hey, man, let's go. And that's how I met Don Cheadle. Now, who played you in the movie? <laughs> something, something just told me Don Cheadle because I saw him in a movie called The Devil in a Blue Dress. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. And I said, that's Uncle Miles. I love it. Vince Wilburn Jr., ladies and gentlemen, Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, the new documentary. And the documentary is available everywhere, sir? It's, it's out on all the theaters. It's, it hasn't gone to Netflix or, 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 um, or t- television yet. Or yeah, that's cable, after one. But, but yeah. it's, it's in the theaters. I'm going to Chicago tomorrow to um, premiere it there Friday, my hometown. Oh, that's I just wonderful. got back from Dallas. We've been to South Africa. We've been to Sundance. We've been all over the world. You gonna go, go to London after Chicago? You like Italian food? Love it. All right, you gonna go to Gene and Giorgetti for me and have a little plate? That'd be good. <laughs> okay, I'll do. I'll do a light. Franklin Street, I'll do a baby. Light run. Franklin, <laughs> I, I love it. Vince, thanks so much for your time. Great talking to you, sir. Please do come back. I'd love to talk hey, to you man, more. Keep in touch. You're a good man. Thank Let's you, Vince. Call me anytime. Please check out the film. Okay. We'll get it done, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, Vince. Hashtag Miles Davis movie. Miles Davis movie. I got it. Most definitely. Okay. And my band is Miles Electric Band. You got to check out that. We got some new music coming out. MilesElectricBand.com. We'll get it. Oh, good. I'm glad you. Yeah. Well, could, you should come back and talk about that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's do it. I'm in the studio with Lenny White now. We're co-producing the new record. We'll and get we it have done. we have a song on the on the soundtrack called "Hail to the Real Chief" with with Miles and Marcus Miller that we produced. That is a wonderful. And by the way, I should we'll mention that the movie also will be a broadcast on PBS in 2020 following its theatrical run. So right around the corner, just a few months from now, it'll be on PBS. Thank you, Mr. Wilburn. I appreciate it, sir. Great, man. Great talking to you. Nice talking to you. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. Yeah.